0: So I feel like I should warn everybody on the front of this one. Um, Today's going to feel a little different than our normal sermon. If you are a visitor, that's either a good thing or a bad thing. So um, you can tell me later whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But uh, today's sermon's going to have a little bit of a different feel. As you can tell, some of you already were alerted to that something was different, that we actually created an insert in the bulletin, breaking my normal never-do-an-insert rule. And... um, But we'll get to that later, so just hold on to that. To begin, I want to talk about my health a little bit and that over the last couple months and really over the last couple years, I've had to learn how to better take care of my health. A couple years ago, I actually had to start exercising for really the first time in my life. I know. Pity, please. Please. But what I found at the beginning of really this year was that regular exercise was not enough for me. And we all know this. This is something we all know. You got to eat right and you got to exercise. But as far as eating right, I was really good at the eating part, (laughs) but not so good at eating well. And I'm sure all of us at one time were, yeah, I got to eat better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go get yelled at by your doctor. You know, for me, it was just getting yelled at by the scale. And, um, but over the years, and I'm sure you've had the same thing, too, of you try something, maybe it doesn't even work, but your friend, it worked for your friend, and you're like, why didn't it work for me? Or it works for a little bit, but it's not sustainable. You know, as, as I've tried things over my life, And then when you add kids in the mix, you don't want to be creating dinner for all five people in the house. That's just crazy. And so for me, it really came down to the question of this. What is effective, but then also what is sustainable? And I think all of us at one time or another had that question for our health. Again, one reason or another. You need find something that not only works, but that you can keep going with. So what is both effective and sustainable? And so at the beginning of this year, Darcy and I did our research, really mostly Darcy. Um, I just benefited from her, she's the brains of the operation. And we found one that really just taught portion control. And it gives you these tiny little Tupperware things. And you only get so many of those little tiny Tupperware things. Then you look at them and you're like, boy, that's a tiny Tupperware. But it meant for us, we could just cook for the whole family because you just dip out with these tiny Tupperware things. And again, it was more sustainable than other things we'd tried. And so throughout this year, I've been using this system to do what I know I should be doing, Again, we all know we should be doing stuff like this. But sometimes we need a structure or an organization to help us do what we know we need to do. And apart from a commercial for the system that we use, that's not really the main point of today. But I want to look at a structure that I want us as a church to be using to do what we know we need to be doing, and that is making disciples of Jesus Christ. Again, if I was give you a quiz, it was true-false. Christians should make disciples of Jesus. We all answer true, and we get the answer right. The problem is we don't always do it. We don't always do what we know we should be doing. Again, it's very similar to living a healthier life or doing weight loss. We know we should, but the question is, how do we do it? And how do we do it in a way that is both effective and sustainable? And so today we're going to look at a system that I think will help us be obedient to what God's word says we should do. And that is, make followers of Jesus Christ. And so, before we get to the structure, I want us to look at the foundation upon which the structure is built. And so, first, we're going to look at, in your outline there, the biblical command. And then, we're going to look at a biblical pattern for living out that command. And then, thirdly, we're going to look at the structure that I think will help you, will help me do what we know God has called us to do. So let's first look at the biblical command. Go ahead, Matt. Yep. Biblical command, the Great Commission, a familiar verse. Let me read that, and I want to talk a little bit about it. Picking up on verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. If you've been in church for a while, these are familiar words. But sometimes in the familiar, we lose the passion and we lose the drive that we need to have. So let's look at three parts of this command. Verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The first part of this command is to go into your world. There's a command for God's people to be in his world. We are a sent people. In a similar way, passage in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are a sent people. Now, one of the problems we have with this verse is we only apply this to missionaries. (laughs) And that is one way to go. I think of my sister. Many of you know my sister is in North Africa. Well, she's back in the States now, but she's Station in North Africa, being a missionary there. That is her obedience to go, is to live in North Africa. For Darcy and I, our obedience to go was to move from Illinois out here. And we stayed in the same country, but we moved to a different culture within that country. But also, for my brother, my younger brother... Typical younger brother, his go is to stay in his hometown. And both him and his wife, who are from our hometown, continue to live there. They live 10 minutes from the house we grew up in. But they're still going into their community. So whether God has called you, and I know God has called some of you here to go across the oceans, some of you God has called to move across the country. And some of you called to go across the street. But we are all a sent people. Not just the missionaries, not just the pastors, not just the evangelists. All of us in Christ are sent. And what are we to do in the community? We are to make disciples. That is the main verb of this whole command. Everything else describes how we make disciples and in what way we make disciples. Disciples. This means that we are to go and proclaim the good news to make new disciples of Jesus, new followers of Jesus. But embedded in that word disciple is a lifelong process of growing to be more and more like Jesus Christ. We were talking about this this morning in our Sunday school class, this idea of both quantity and Quality. We are called to make new disciples of Jesus, but we are also called to teach people how to grow in maturity in Christ. Look at what verse 19 says, or verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. In one sense that is a lifelong command that we are learning to observe what God has said we are learning to obey and become more like Jesus every day. And that leads us to the third point of this biblical command. So we're to go into our world, we're to make disciples, and the third part is we're to initiate and train them. So in verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the initiatory rite of the christian it is the beginning of your life in christ it is a physical representation of dying to your sins and being raised to new life in christ it is the front door of christian faith and then the training comes and i use that word specifically because training is more than teaching And notice it doesn't say, teach them everything I said. It's teach them to observe. There's a training, there's an apprenticeship that we engage in when we're making disciples. And all of this is done knowing that Jesus is always with us and is always there. Now I bring us back to this because we as a church have said this is what we're all about. So you look at our sign in the foyer you look on the front of the bulletin you look on the website and you see repeated over and over again what we as a church have decided is our mission. Let me read it to you. To glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have said that we are about making disciples of Jesus. To the glory of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, if I were to ask on a true-false quiz, are we to be making disciples, we'd all get the answer right. But do we live in such a way that demonstrates we know the right answer? So, Let's move now. We've we've got the command. We're to go into our world. We're to make disciples of Jesus. Now let's look at a pattern that comes through the biblical text when we look at how disciples are made. So the first verse, and you don't need to flip through all these. They're all going to be projected up there, and all the references are listed in your bullets in there but I just want you to see this pattern. And this is going to be quick, so don't worry when you see that long list. Okay. So John, chapter 4, verse 53. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. So this is, again, one of these stories where a person comes to Jesus, asks them to heal their son or daughter or their servant. And at the end of this one, the father believes in Jesus, but then it also mentions that his household believes. Let's go to the next one, Acts chapter 10. This is the story of Cornelius, one of the first Gentile believers in the book of Acts. And on the following day they entered Caesarea, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Then we jump to the next, which is a continuation of the story in Acts 11. Go ahead and do the next one, Matt. This is Peter speaking, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Next one, Acts chapter 16. Story of a woman named Lydia. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And I didn't copy in the last verse on that. (laughs) yeah, sorry (laughs) and after she was baptized and her household as well she urged us saying if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord come to my house and stay next one, Acts 16 this is the Philippian jailer so Paul's been thrown in jail earthquake happens then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And he spoke the word, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to, into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Next one, Acts 18. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And lastly for now, Luke chapter 19, story of Zacchaeus. And Jesus said to him, Today has salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So, in all those stories of people believing in Jesus, you see that not only they believed, but time and time again you see that faith also comes to their household. Now, what does that mean? Well, it definitely includes family. It definitely includes the family of the person owns the house, just like we would say it today. But back then, it could also include many more people. It could include any servants or slaves who worked for the person. It could also, as we saw in Acts 10.24, include friends. So it says of Cornelius in 24 that he called together his relatives and close friends. And so here's the pattern. There's one sort of point person for the gospel. And because they either initiate contact with a Christian or with Jesus himself, they hear the message, and because they hear, the people around them hear. And therefore, faith comes to that group of people. So you have one person in sent is a gateway to the others. He's a gateway to the gospel of Jesus. Now let me show you Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five is another one of a time where a person heard, and because of them other people heard. But we get more of the content of the message that Jesus says to this man. This is the story of the man called Legion because he is possessed by a legion of demons. Listen to the end of the story. This is verses 18 to 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Legion, the man who was possessed and then healed by Jesus, wants to come with Jesus. Verses 19 and 20. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Again, this person, this individual, had placed their faith in Christ And Jesus says, you can't come with me and be part of the twelve, but I'm sending you back to your own people. I'm sending back to your friends, your relatives, your town. And what is he going to tell them? How much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And we're told he goes back and the Decapolis was this grouping of about ten towns and cities. And through the salvation of this one man, people in that region learned about the mercy of God and salvation in Jesus. But I also want you to see that when you are sent into your world, when you are sent into your communities by God, what do you say? Here's one summary here. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. See, sometimes I think we overcomplicate the mission of the church. And sometimes we overcomplicate it because we're afraid to do it, and if it's super complicated, we don't have to do it. (laughs) But this passage right here is one of these summaries that exists in the Bible that gives a nice, concise summary of how we are to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Again, when we read it here, it seems pretty simple. Share with them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. Now, what about when we understand that we have the same call? That we're a part of this pattern. That God has brought each of us, if we're believers in Christ, that God has brought us to faith and is now sending us back to our people. Sending us back into the communities in which we live, work, So the question becomes, how am I going to do this? Because I think it's pretty clear that we should. (laughs) The commands are pretty clear. Just like, again, it's very clear that I needed to eat better. Again, the the true-false quiz, should I eat more healthy? True. The problem is, how do I do that? And how do, I, how do I sustain that? And so that's where this card comes in. Okay, so everybody get this card out. Now, let me say, while you're getting that out, this is no magic bullet. Okay? Again, just like with eating better, there's no diet, where you can eat as much as you want (laughs) of whatever you want and lose any weight. There's no... Anytime you hear there's a magic diet, just turn the channel because you're on the wrong station. (laughs) Okay? This will not solve all your problems. This will not be magic. There's nothing magical about this, but I think it'll help. Again, help us to do what we know we should do. Because our problem isn't not not knowing what to do, it's doing it. Okay? So the first question that I want to address here is, is up in the top right corner you see this word oikos. Okay, that is not the yogurt. I don't know if the person who wrote this, this is from a pastor named Tom Mercer, I don't know if he knew that the yogurt had the same name. But the word oikos is the Greek word for church. Now, there's nothing magical about using a Greek word. But the reason that he chose this word is because you do not have any emotional baggage or experience with this word. Because it just means house. House. Sometimes when churches try to do this thing that you remember all of the things that either went wrong or just went terribly, and you just bring that baggage in to this. So he picked a word you don't have any connection to because it's in another language. But again, nothing special about using a Greek word. It's not magic. It just means house. And it fits that pattern. It reminds us of that pattern that through these people, God reached out to their network. Their household. And you can see around there, there's smaller circles. And these are little categories to help you think of who is in my household, who is in my oikos. So friends, neighbors, relatives, people you know through school, people you know through work, and my favorite category, other. Other. That one just makes me laugh because you totally know what he did. He's like, that's good. But people meet different places. Other, you know, it's a slush fund of people categories. So these are categories to help you understand your oikos. The author writes in his book that the people who are on the front burner of your life, these are people that you naturally interact with. He's convinced, there's some non-scientific research from what I can tell of a lot of hand raising, but he's convinced that most people, he claims 95% of people have come to faith through the influence of one of these people. And by and large, I think he's right. I don't know if 95% is accurate, but when you look at these, your family, a friend, a neighbor, someone at school, someone you worked with, One of those people was probably instrumental into you coming to faith in Christ. Or an other. Again, it's the slush fund of people categories. So when we say, into your community, I want you to think of these categories. This is your oikos. And from these categories... On the left side there, he has five steps, and we're going to walk through those this morning. Step number one, make a list. Again, when we want to do something, we need to be intentional about it. Okay, if you want to have a good handle on your finances, you need to make a budget. Yes, there are the rare exceptions of people who can live well on their finances without making a budget, but for the rest of us, those are the exceptions, but we all need we pretty much we all use budgets. Our church uses a budget. It's because we want to do what's right and it's a good structure. So, step number one, make a list. People in your oikos who need to know Jesus or know him better. So when you look over, and what you're going to do this week is you're going to put some names in there. You're going to put some names. And we made extra copies in case you mess up. Okay? So just come to me later. So the first category there, pre-Christians. These are people who obviously make no faith claims and are far from Jesus. Now, one of my worries in today's church in the United States is that this will be the hardest category for many of us. That it's easy especially living where we do to isolate ourselves from people. And so when you're thinking who can go in my pre-Christian my lines there your first may actually need to be a prayer your first step might actually need to be praying God brings some people who don't know Christ into my life. Now, you don't have to fill every line. I know some of you little list makers out there are like, I need four in every category. Or the last one's three. You can have one in each one, it doesn't matter. You can have one and one, zero and one. I mean, just, again, this is just a tool. You're not going to be graded on this. We're not passing this in at the end of service. And I'll put some red marker on it or something. Okay. The second one, the second category there for your list, prodigals. These are people who may claim faith or may have at one time claimed faith but have walked away or, I would add, for me, I'm adding that their understanding of Christianity is so different that it does not resemble true Christianity. So those are prodigals. Again, some of you, maybe you have a grown child who who professed faith when they were younger but has since walked away from the Lord. That's their category. Third category, the purposefuls. These are believers who actively pursue their faith. If we're in the body of Christ together, we should be investing in other believers. For those of us who are older, oftentimes this means investing in someone younger or someone younger in the faith who's the same age as you. Also, if you're you're married, your spouse, if they profess faith in Christ, your spouse could go in here. I've put my kids in this category. And then the last category are potentials. And this is sort of a fun category. This is the, man, I keep running into this person category. The person where... Too many coincidental running intos to you're like, man, is it a coincidence or is this God moving in this person's life? This is sort of your brainstorming category. But again, the idea is, again, not to fill out the categories, but if we're serious about doing this, let's have a plan. And this helps you, helps you stay accountable. One of the things that's helped me over these last couple months in my desire to lose weight is this watch right here. This watch is a Fitbit watch, it counts all the times I step. It allows me not to lie to myself. Because I'm like, oh, i moved a lot today. And then it says, no you didn't. So, <laughs> we're really good at giving ourselves a pass and just straight up lying to ourselves. So that's one thing that this list can give is accountability. Because the second part of this step is to pray through this list. One of the reasons we didn't make it bigger, okay, some of you thought that when we got started, is that this can fit in your Bible. This can go with you when you go to work. It can be a part of your commute. But step 2 is to pray specifically for the people on this list. We believe that prayer works. And so prayer must be included on any effort to reach people for Christ that we do. So what do we pray? Well, we can pray that a person would be prepared by God to hear what we have to say. That's a good prayer. Another good prayer is pray for an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody. Another prayer that I like to pray is to pray for courage and wisdom to speak when we have that opportunity. But again, this is trying to build a good habit of thinking about these people, intentionally thinking, God has placed me in their life to influence them for Jesus. See, sometimes I think that gets thrown to the back burner of our lives because we're not thinking of it. This helps us think about it and keep it in the front of our minds because we are called to be the witnesses of Christ in the world. Step three, invest. I think this is especially true in our day and age, that to be heard, you need to, in a sense, earn a hearing. And so investing is caring for people, serving people, helping them, being there for them, setting the table for when they are ready that they are willing to listen. I think a lot of times what it means for me is that I feel a certain responsibility for people in my oikos. I feel a responsibility that's appropriate to the relationship, right? I feel a responsibility for my neighbor, but I'm not his mother, right? It's different, but there's a responsibility as a Christian I have to my unbelieving neighbor, But again, a lot of times we don't think like that. We think about what we need and what we want, and we don't think, what does that person need? What does that person, how can I serve them? And honestly, we just don't think about other people. Again, this helps us focus our mind to say, how am I investing in these people who, who don't know Jesus? Step number four, invite. Now, if you want to mark a little bit on your bookmark at this point, this is where I have a little bit of disagreement with the Tom, the guy who wrote this. And his main avenue of inviting is inviting someone to a church service. Now, if you are investing in someone, if you are working in their lives to influence them for Christ, and they are willing to come on Sunday morning, go ahead. Please invite them. But my experience, and I think the experience of many of you here, is that most people in our community won't just come to a service. In fact, I don't expect anyone who's not already a believer in Christ to come to a Sunday morning service. Can God do it? Yes. Does God do it? Yes. But in my understanding and in my experience, that's the exception, not the rule. So, under invite, you can keep inviting them to church. Again, if someone is willing to come without being a believer in Christ, great. But, and here's where I think we've gone wrong for a lot of years, the primary... Avenue of gospel preaching comes in each of us personally inviting others into a relationship with Christ. Here's what I think we've done for a lot of years. I'm going to convince someone to come to church so that the pastor can tell them about Jesus. (laughs) And how many times have I said, I want to be the second person to tell your friend about Jesus. Because I haven't invested in them. They don't know me from Adam. Again, there are exceptional times, and that can happen. I'm not saying it doesn't. But what I am saying is that when we look at the pattern in Scripture and we look at how people in general come to faith, it is through you and me as individuals out in our community sharing Christ, sharing the gospel with other individuals. So again, invite someone to church if you think they are willing to say yes. But more importantly, invite them into a relationship with Christ. And you can do it. Share what God has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. Number five, prepare. What does the author mean here? On the bookmark, it says, prepare to become a better example of faith in Christ as well as a more effective witness of his grace. And here's how I I think this is best understood. When you are doing Bible study, when you are having your quiet time, when you're in ABF or in BSF or in any other thing where you are learning God's word, we need to keep on the front burner of our lives an application of God's word towards reaching out to those who don't know Christ. When you study God's word, if every application is about you, then something's wrong. There needs to be time to apply God's word to reaching them. And how I'm going to be God's witness to them. We can't just be ingrown with our Bible study and our application of God's word. So use God's word to prepare you to reach his world for Christ. So what are you going to do this week? Some of you have noticed... That for your small groups, there aren't small group questions out there. Guess what? Your small group questions are this week. There you go. If you're not in a small group, talk about this with your friends, with your spouse. Talk about this with the person sitting next to you. Take time this week to begin praying for God, who should I put on my list? And then make a list and begin praying. Now, some of you might object that this, this can feel artificial. And you're absolutely right. It absolutely can. But maybe one of your prayers is to understand that this is a structure. It's a tool. It cannot create a passion for the gospel in your heart but it can help you live out that passion for the gospel in your life. We're going to be using this over the next couple months, years, depends how sustainable you all find it, but to be a part of our conversation as a church body. So that when you meet together, you can say, Tell me a story from your Oikos list. Tell me how God is putting someone in your life so you can share the good news of Jesus with them. Again, our problem isn't knowing what to do. Oftentimes our problem is being obedient to what we know God has said. And this is one tool that the elders and I think will help us as individuals, and as a church, reach our community for Christ. And be about the mission we say we're about, and be obedient to what God has said. To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he commanded, because he is with us always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have, in your sovereignty and providence, placed us exactly where we are, among people where we are, who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ that he died for their sins and offers forgiveness and the hope of eternal life for all who will believe in him. God, that we would understand that we are your witnesses and that you have put people in our lives for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with. God, that we would understand that this tool is, is simply that. A tool to help us obey you and to be faithful to our calling as believers. And that you would go before us, that you would prepare the hearts of people, that you would give us courage and that you would give us opportunity to share our faith so that the lost would be found. That people would find salvation in Christ and hope for eternal life.